What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Last week, Governor Gavin Newsom announced that San Quentin Prison is to be reorganized as a rehab center. Some prison reform advocates hail this as progress. Others are concerned that the devil is in the details. We are joined to discuss this morning by Tim Cornegie. He is the director of Live Free California. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Kat. How are you? I'm doing good, my brother. For this opportunity. Absolutely. I'm glad to have you on the show. We'll have to uh, do that more often. Tim, real quick, because this is your first time on Law and Disorder, so folks know why you are the man we should be talking to about this. Tell us a little bit about Live Free and the work that you all do. Uh, What Live Free is, is 20 black-led organizations across the state of California all doing work uh, around community-based violence, police violence, uh, police accountability, and change in policy that services the interests of those who live in these marginalized communities and find themselves struggling um, just to feel safe. Tim, before we get into plans uh, to transform, and I'm I'm using that word in air quotes uh, for the moment, paint a picture for my listeners about the current conditions inside of San Quentin and its, its history really of being a house of horror for the folks that are locked inside the cages there. Well, well, San Quentin is one of those historical places that when it was designed, it was designed as a maximum security prison. So although I've never spent any time there, because I am an individual who spent some degree of time incarcerated, I'm, I'm very aware of the shape and style of it, uh, the cells or the cages, rather, that they keep individuals in are extremely um, small. The environment, because it's on the bay, is weather conditions are extremely bad a lot of times, and individuals are always um, sick. So it, it's it's really not an optimal place. It's more it's more uh, structured around punishment. Just the design of it and the look of it is more around punishment and traumatizing folks than it could ever be. Um, structured to be some type, some degree of rehabilitation center. My so opinion. according, yeah, well, I'm gonna we're gonna delve into that opinion. That's why we brought you on the show this morning. According to Cal Matters, <clears throat> this is uh, directly out of their article. Governor Gavin Newsom said that the state will spend twenty million dollars to begin the reorganization of San Quentin State Prison from an institution that houses three thousand three hundred incarcerated people at a high security site on the San Francisco Bay to this is a quote center for innovation focused on education, rehabilitation, and breaking cycles of crime. End quote. Tim, your initial response to that statement. Um, a lot of times things are viable in theory, but in practical application, it's, it's, uh, as you said earlier, the devil is in the details. So for one, though it may appear on the surface to be some degree of rehabilitation centers, the culture of San Quentin and how it existed for the previous hundred years that needs to be changed. So you can't, uh, interject or develop uh, rehabilitative programs without first looking at the guards and the staffing in a prison. You want to bring in new programs, but not bring in new administrators, a new train of thought along with it. It's a recipe for disaster because they're still going to be functioning in a manner of the, the previous guards and the previous administration. And that's not going to work. 
Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought that up because that's something else that there's not a lot of details, right, that actually have come forward. It's really sort of airy-fairy right now in, in, in terms of what this will actually look like. But one thing that Governor Newsom did say with a certainty was that this will not impact the staff at San Quentin. And we know that, that those staff perpetrate um, egregious acts of violence against folks that are incarcerated there now. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, so so it's, it's, more of co- it's more of culture of, like, overseers that in, anybody in there for the most part is really perceived as somebody that deserves to be there and deserves to be treated in an inhumane manner. Um, folks aren't, your rights aren't really respected, what low level of rights that you do have. And it's just an environment of compliance. Yeah, it is, it is incarceration, but you do um, take your humanity with you and your humanity should be looked at. So to try to bring an innovative idea to a place, that structure culturally structured around the contrary is going to be a uh, one struggle, but the other struggle was just the displacement of folks who are there and how they're going to feel because there's two there's two sides to this rehabilitation. There are individuals who are housed there who are going to be uprooted from a situation that they may have become accustomed to, unfortunately, because you don't really have a choice. But to but to adjust adjust to the traumatic environment in order to survive mentally, and you're moving folks from there to other places who are going to have to undergo like the perception of coming from San Quentin to another prison and everything that goes with the culture, and that that is another problem that's definitely not fair. And then, Tim, talk a little bit about how this may impact visitation, right, to folks that are incarcerated at San Quentin by their loved ones. I mean, prisons are notoriously hard to get to and across the state of California in really isolated locations. Yeah, well, although in um, CDC and R and air quotes, as you mentioned earlier, (laughs) they talk about rehabilitation and wanting to put families close to their loved ones who have the misfortune of being incarcerated. But once again, it's something that looks good on paper and in theory, but truth of the matter is most individuals who are incarcerated in California are not um, housed in close proximity to their family. So if you are one of those who are fortunate enough to be housed someplace where it doesn't take five hours, to get a visit from someone, then you usually want to stay in that place because it caters to um, supporting family ties, external relationships when your only ties to community sometimes can be the opportunities that you get to see your family on the time that visitation is allowed. The other thing that I'm thinking about, and you you talked about it at the the very beginning of our conversation, is the infrastructure of San Quentin, what it looks like and feels like inside of there. Last I checked, it's like $1.6 billion to repair it to a place um, where it doesn't look and feel like that with all of the structural problems environment matters when you're talking about rehabilitation, right? The environment impacts your mental and emotional health. So how are you going to have programming to try to get people to a transformational place inside of something that feels like a dungeon? Yeah. Well, I I agree with you uh, 100%. I think that 
a $20 million investment may, may be enough to address the deplorable conditions in one or two buildings in San Quentin. So it, it's definitely not a, not a big enough investment to actually change the visual impact of something that was literally built, as you said, like a dungeon in order to punish people. And, and uh, for folks who don't know, those cages are so small, there's barely enough room for one person to move around in them. If there are two people in them, one person has to sit down somewhere so the other person can pass in the small, maybe 24-inch space that's between the wall and where the beds are located. So it, it, it's, it's not um, a place in design that's built to facilitate what what's being called a rehab, a rehabilitation center. Though I think the idea is a, it's, it's a good idea because unfortunately California is one of those states that's very slow in addressing the mass incarceration and, and doing things to keep individuals from going to prison in the first place by investing in the kind of programs that put folks in position to develop skill sets that can keep them free where they don't have to invest their lives in the underground economy, that that they should be doing that. They're moving slower, closing their prisons, and to come with an idea to take a, something that feels good and put it in a place that feels bad is, is really asking for basically uh, a miracle. I don't Tim, think it's going to work. You don't think it's going to work? I, I, I mean, I have serious concerns about it, it working, too, particularly if CDCR is at the helm of designing um, yeah. what the programming will look like. They say that there'll be an advisory committee that includes system-impacted folks. But my experience of policy, I don't know about you, is that we do pass the, these pieces of legislation, but once it gets in the hands of the state for implementation, right, it just remains um, in the old paradigm, and, and we don't see any actual transformation happen. Yeah, well, well, in my experience, um, on my journey through the system, that exact that's exactly what happens every time they design um, these these amazing. They look the programs look amazing in writing, but in implementation, it's always we don't have enough staff, we don't have enough money. There are incidents occur, and, and all of the prisons are connected. So, an incident in a Southern California prison can affect San Quentin. And an incident in San Quentin can affect an incident in Southern California. So because of the the interconnection, there's always an excuse of why the process is so slow. And, and to my understanding, they haven't even fulfilled um, their obligations to change prison culture and give individuals an opportunity to rehabilitate themselves from the past in the Prop 57. Mm-hmm. One of the things I find fascinating, because as an abolitionist, right, we I, I spend time in, in looking at how other countries um, uh, deal with, with, with folks that commit so-called crime. And so I've looked at Norway, which is what this uh, this program is, is based on, right, is, is um, mm. what happens in Scandinavian countries where there, you know, people can wear their own clothes, cook their own food, um, have relative freedom of movement, right, they're not constrained like folks are here. And again, I think in theory that's great, but the prisons in the Scandinavian countries aren't 
haven't evolved out of plantation chattel slavery, black codes and chain gangs like the prisons here have. And so is it not you can't just put some paint on it uh, and, and call it good. You're talking about a, a transformation of the ideology and the, the way that we look at this country is, is what I mean by we folks that that are our system impacted. Yeah, well, well, I, I think, well, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure in those Scandinavian countries you have to be uh, college educated to be a to be a guard in prison. So you're talking about uh, folks being employed from a therapeutic perspective, and their aim actually being to rehabilitate somebody. So the second chance mentality is there from the beginning, and you and it's in a society where. Um, because of its dynamics, then their purpose is to uplift their people, whether or not they're incarcerated or not, that everybody walks around, as I said earlier, with a degree of humanity. That That is not about to change in California. That is not about to change uh, in the United States. And you have the same or similar mentality of folks who are employed in CDCR that are employed in uh, general law enforcement. Highly confrontational, uh, aggressive, not not necessarily looking to extend a person um, that small uh, piece of humanity in a situation like that, and just figure like, well, since you in here, um, you must have done something. So since you've done something, it's my job to uh, treat you in a manner that's absent really any degree of courtesy, any degree of uh, like general respect or compassion, you know, just just comply with what we say you should do, and do your time, and eventually uh, the gates will open and you'll be free. And to try to take a a model that's in place from another country that's that's based on um, I don't know racial empowerment across the board because since it's a hegemonic country, um, it's it's just different. Agreed. Tim Cornegan, my last question for you, because I do we like to spend some time reimagining, right, uh, what, what the world we wake up every day and fight for could look like. Best case scenario for this program, what are the elements that it has to have if it even has a remote chance of any success? Uh, first and foremost, uh, there has to be an administration inside administration. The general administration that runs San Quentin can't be responsible for running the rehabilitative aspect. To, they can't try to change the whole um, facility overnight, but to pick sec- a section of where the program can be modeled and maybe it can be scaled up from that point and for there to be um, something in place that imposes somebody that has gain the opportunity to be uh, in a rehabilitation facility that they have a level of right reminiscent to somebody um, whose aim is to be, to have a successful reintegration when they do come home. And, and lastly, to be given skills, direct skills that's transferable in this world and, and individuals not be sent home with grandiose ideas of how they can apply things they, that they've learned in prison that have no practical application in the free world. 
Tim Cornegate, thank you so much for joining this morning. We look forward to having you back soon. Okay, I appreciate you. When, whenever you need me, just give me a call. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Rask and the Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.